0: Good morning, so good to see you guys and what a great way to start a new year saying words, Uh, those are profound words, nothing is better than Jesus, nothing, amen? So encouraging Uh, and then baptism such a a beautiful picture, new life in Christ, another great uh, reminder as we start off a new year I want to ask you to say a phrase with me to get started this morning as we look at this uh, passage in Mark Uh, it's a simple phrase fresh starts and new beginnings why don't you say that with me fresh starts and new beginnings I love that phrase and the first time I remember hearing that was from a guy named uh, Paul Tripp I don't even remember when or where or what, but I just remember hearing that and I just resonated with that, partly because I love the picture that it paints, fresh starts, new beginnings, right? That sounds great. But there was also something in me that said, I want that, which also means there's something about that that I don't feel like I have. I don't know if you can relate to that. Uh, Paul says that uh, fresh starts and new beginnings, as a as a theme, is one of the most prominent themes in all of our Bible. We're going to look at some different references related to that. But think about 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a what? A new creation. A new creation. A new creation. And then, just in case we didn't know what that meant, it says, the old has passed away, the new has come. That's the picture. That's the result of this picture that we saw of baptism, this new life in Christ. That's what they're talking about, a new creation. Romans 6.4 says this, We were buried, spiritually speaking, therefore with Jesus by baptism into death... That's just all about identification with him. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that's the standard, just as that happened, we too might walk in newness of life. That's pretty big, isn't it? Now, when I say newness of life, we're not talking about a life of perfection, It's certainly not that. I haven't met a person like that, but it means something, doesn't it? I mean, new is not old. Let me throw out some ideas about what this newness of life means. Once you were enslaved to sin and now you're free from sin, not sinless, you're just no longer under its domain or its power spiritually powerless, prior to coming to Christ, spiritually empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit that Jeff mentioned just a minute ago, that's newness of life. Foolish, wise. Newness of life has wisdom associated with it. You don't know everything, you're not omniscient, but you sure knew more than you did fruitless to fruitful think fruit of the spirit now how many of us who profess faith in Christ would describe ourselves generally speaking as walking in newness of life just regular like that's just what I do Maybe some of us would say walking in newness of life is more of a desire than a reality. And if that's where you are today, I'm so glad you're here. Because all of us can walk more and more in line with that picture than we did yesterday. I hope that encourages you a ton. Here's the gospel. This is good news This kind of life is an invitation by God to abandon the old foolish ways of sin and embrace a path that looks and feels like newness of life. That's the invitation that we have today and every day. I'm going to make an assumption that every single person in here needs fresh starts and new beginnings throughout their life. I'm gonna give you four examples from my own. Maybe you can identify with some of these. Every person on earth needs spiritual conversion which we've been talking about already this morning. That is going from death to life, being guilty to being forgiven, being unrighteous and being made righteous by the sacrifice of Christ. When I was a freshman in high school, I knew about God. I thought that he existed. I thought I was a pretty good guy and I was just trying to be good enough so that he would let me into heaven. And then I heard the gospel and I found out that I was dead in my sin and completely incapable of making myself good enough for God to accept me. And then I heard the gospel. I heard about a savior who came and died in my place so that I could be forgiven. And all I had to do was simply ask him to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And so I did, summer of 82. And I went from death to life. a Fresh start and a new beginning. The most important, fresh start and new beginning of my life. But it doesn't end there. That's spiritual conversion. There's also seasons of willful disobedience. One of the most disobedient seasons of my life came a year later believe it or not. I went off uh, to work on a summer wheat harvest crew, starting down in Texas, going all the way up to North Dakota. I had a brand new Bible that I was taking with me, and I was gonna be the Billy Graham of the plains. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. (laughs) I'm having a moment here. No, I didn't crack that Bible once. And I waded into some of the darkest things I'd ever been involved with in my life up to that point. And by the end of that summer, I thought, what a sorry excuse for a Christian I must be. And I remember sitting down with my young life leader and I I really expected him to say, you're done. And he said, man, I've been there. I know what that's like he didn't use this phrase but he said you got a fresh start and a new beginning you can start today and I just was like that's grace never knew what that was I got it continued growth sometimes we're given opportunities to mature and that's a fresh start and a new beginning because we're not meant to just stay static for our whole lives. We're meant to grow and have greater and greater redemptive influence on the world around us. Now, this isn't about a position, but it just it, it marked me. I remember sitting uh, at the end of my freshman year in college. I was involved with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and we're all just sitting around, and we're choosing leaders for the next year, student leaders. And I remember that The Fellowship of Christian Athletes student folks, they voted me to be vice president. And I was as shocked as anybody in the room because I was still dabbling. I was still duplicitous in some ways. But I was confronted with, hey, if you're going to follow Christ and you're going to make a difference, then you better address some things. And these people in this room think that you need to be in that position. It's a great opportunity, a fresh start and a new beginning to grow the president the guy that was elected president didn't want to be that so i became president as a sophomore in college probably had no business being in that role but god used that in a profound way to help me grow major setbacks significant loss or hardship Uh, many of us maybe all of us have experienced this over the last couple of years I remember as this church was just getting started in my earliest days um, lots of changes financial challenges facility adjustments staff changes I was a dad of four little bitties and trying to be married and it was like one of the hardest seasons of my whole life and you know what the Lord showed me at that time it wasn't that man life sure is hard for you it was, you know what, Monty, I think you're a little more interested in the impression that everybody has of you as a church planter than you are about fulfilling your assignment. It's a good, it was a good confrontation. It was a fresh start and a new beginning for me as a pastor. Christians are a people called to a lifelong journey of recovery and restoration, Old to new, graciously orchestrated by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our value that we use here at Fellowship to speak to that is life change is a way of life. Say that with me. Life change is a way of life. It's not a one and done. It's not just in one season. It's not just when you're a young, immature baby Christian. It's till you breathe your last breath. The Bible is full of stories of people that got fresh starts and new beginnings, opportunities to grow in relationship with God. I'll mention just a few. Rahab. You guys remember Rahab in Jericho, a prostitute living in a wall? She was just open enough to the activity of God that when he sent some spies in there before Israel took over Jericho, she hid them, protected them, delivered them back out of the city safely. You can read about her story in Joshua 2 and 6. But I have a hunch that was a fresh start and a new beginning for her. She was actually counted in the lineage of Jesus. David, we love David, man after God's own heart, wonderful, amazing story, adultery with Bathsheba and killed, murdered her husband, Uriah, so that that he could have Bathsheba for his own. He got a fresh start and a new beginning. And we would love to stand back and say, How could God be so kind to a guy like him? When we might ought to say, How could God be so kind to a man like me? The Samaritan woman mm, at Jacob's well, John 4. Just think of that woman going to that well for the thousandth time all by herself. She's on her fifth marriage. Nobody wants to be around her. She's full of shame, and this Jewish man asks her for a drink. You can read about it again in John 4. She got a fresh start and a new beginning that day, and then Peter, (laughs) good gosh. Boasts of his commitment to Christ and is confronted, and this is in all four gospels, of how he will deny Jesus. And I'm sure in the moment he thought, Not a chance. He said, All these other guys, they may run away, but not me. I'm going to stay right here, even if I have to die with you. And we know what happened. When you get a chance, turn over to John 21. And read about his precious restoration with Jesus. I want to focus on one particular person today. His story is pretty intense. May seem a little over the top. But I think it will encourage you. It has sure encouraged me. And basically the big idea is if this guy can get a fresh start and a new beginning, you can He's known as the man of the tombs. This is in Mark 5, if you want to turn over in your Bibles to Mark 5. The chapter starts with uh, they, that is Jesus, and the disciples came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. So to set this up, um, Jesus is with his 12. They're doing ministry. If you think of Palestine, you've got the Sea of Galilee at the north, You've got the Jordan River running down and the Dead Sea at the bottom. It's actually in the middle of all of Palestine. But um, you've got Galilee, Samaria, and then uh, Judea where Jerusalem is located. That's just the basic lay of the land. He and his disciples are on the northwest kind of edge of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. Or Bethsaida, and they're gonna make their way across the sea over to the eastern side. That's where this is picking up. But just remember, that trip involved them getting into the boat, going into the sea, a massive storm overtaking them. Jesus is asleep. Is this ringing any bells in the front of the boat? And the disciples are freaking out, and they wake him up, and essentially they're saying, are you going to let us die out here? And then they see Jesus calm the storm with a word. And they're wondering, who is this guy? (laughs) Even in light of all they've seen, they're still wondering. That takes us to verse 2 of chapter 5. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, so this is after all that other stuff has happened, they've gotten to shore, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. It's easy to forget that this guy was someone's son. Perhaps he was a sibling, maybe had a whole family, might have even been a husband or a father and yet he's running around like a crazy man in the darkness of the cemetery. A guy named uh, Bob Bennett wrote a song years ago called Man of the Tombs. I want to read just the very first few lyrics of that song. If you ever get a chance to listen to it, it's, uh, it's one of my favorites. It says, Man of the Tombs, he lives in a place where no one goes. He tears at himself and lives with a pain that no one knows. He counts himself dead among the living. He knows no mercy and no forgiving. Deep in the night, he's driven to cry out loud. Can you hear him cry out loud? Man of the tombs, possessed by an unseen enemy. He breaks every chain and mistakes his freedom for being free. I wonder how many of us mistake our freedom for being free. His community ran him out of town because he was such a threat. They tried to bind him but couldn't. So he just literally runs naked crazy out of his mind through a cemetery. And they can hear him screaming. Everyone knows about that guy out there. If they ever caught sight of him, he was dirty, bruised, bleeding, and scarred from self-inflicted wounds. To say he was tormented is an understatement. Look at verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, "'What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? "'I adjure you, by God, do not torment me.' For he was saying, that is, Jesus was saying, "'Come out of the man, you unclean spirit.' And Jesus asked him, "'What is your name?' And he replied, "'My name is Legion, for we are many.' And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Just as an aside, this passage speaks very definitively about an unseen realm, a demonic realm. And if you're not comfortable with that, it's okay. Like you can say, I struggle with that, that's all right, but that's what the Bible says. So if we're walking through life thinking that this realm doesn't exist, we are blind and deluded just what the enemy wants for us. That's just an aside. This man, he's animated by a demonic presence and he runs to Jesus, not to worship him, but notice he's on his face. He is subjected to Jesus. He knows his place. And it's an interesting contrast to what we just read, and that was no one was able to subdue this man. And yet he is subjected to Jesus. We learn that it's not just one demon, it's a legion. That was a Roman military term, could speak of thousands of soldiers So thousands of demons, and they begged Jesus not to send them out. Here it says of the country in the Gospel of Luke, it says to send them into the abyss, which is their future. Either way, we see that they are completely subject to Jesus. He is sovereign over them, even in his human form. Verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining this. It's just sort of strange and surprising. You know, it's just not, we didn't expect the story to go this way. This, this legion of demons leaves this man and goes into a herd of pigs and they run down and drown themselves. A couple of things that we can probably say is that there was no mistake that something actually happened not only with this man, but outside of this man. He was truly delivered and there was a physical manifestation so nobody's wondering what just happened. I I think Jesus may have done that as much for the man as for anybody. They would always remember this day. After this miraculous deliverance in verse 14 it says the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and the people came to see what it was that had happened and they came to jesus and saw the demon possessed man the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. (laughs) This floors me. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now I'm thinking, you know this guy. You know the threat that he has been, the craziness, the screams, all of that. And you see him sitting there, clothed, in his right mind. And you're afraid. What are you afraid of? Think of all the devastation and destruction that had happened prior to. And all that evil has been subdued. Wouldn't you think they would throw a party? Like pig roast of the century. All the drowned pigs, right? You would think they would give Jesus the keys to the city. Hang around here. We like guys like you that keep us safe. But no, they beg him to leave. Why is that? What are they afraid of? Is it possible that they're afraid that Jesus might poke around in some of the darkness of their own lives? They're fine with the evil crazy man living out there in the cemetery and we can just go about life on our own the way we like it. But now there's this new figure who's messing everything up, disrupting everything. So they ask him to leave. We can all think of manifestations of evil in the world that we would love for God to do something about. But sometimes we're reluctant to invite God to do something about the darkness in our own hearts. A fresh start in a new beginning isn't just kind of bunnies and puppies and rainbows. It's asking God to address all in us that is in opposition to him. That's, that's what a fresh start and a new beginning is all about. And as that stuff gets addressed, you get to be seated, clothed, and in your right mind. Able to be everything that God intends for you to be. Well, if nothing else, this one man has changed. Verse 18. Jesus gets up to leave. Says as he was getting into the boat... The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So the people, after seeing the miracle, are begging for Jesus to leave. And the man who has been delivered is begging Jesus to take him with him. He wanted to follow. He wanted to serve. He wanted to help others have what he now had. And that's really normal for those who are delivered, right? Or saved. We use that word sometimes flippantly. But if you've been saved, you gotta go saved from what? Let's just start with an eternity in hell. That's pretty big, isn't it? And then newness of life, right? Remember? Saved from the power of sin, saved from the consequences of sin. Saved from the delusion and the deception of the enemy. Given wisdom beyond imagination. That's what it means to be saved, to be delivered. Wouldn't you want everybody to know that? I think our longing to engage in Christ's redemptive mission... WILL MATCH OUR APPRECIATION FOR THE DIFFERENCE THAT MISSION HAS MADE IN US. IT IS SURPRISING THAT JESUS DOESN'T LET THIS GUY COME WITH HIM. BUT HE DOESN'T CALL EVERYBODY TO GO ALL OVER THE WORLD AND ON ALL THESE these OTHER REGIONS AND EVERYTHING. HE SENT HIM BACK TO HIS FAMILY AND FRIENDS AND HE SAID, LISTEN, HERE'S YOUR MESSAGE. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. If you do not share your faith, start with that. Just talk to the people around you, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. Just tell them what the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. And you might get an opportunity to talk to them about how God could have mercy on them. Is it possible that we don't tell a story of deliverance because we don't truly grasp the deliverance Jesus has accomplished in our lives? In reference to the man of the tombs, I'll say this. Spiritually speaking, God has done no less in your life than he did in his I mentioned Romans 6 4 at the beginning we were buried therefore with Jesus by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life So, today is a fresh start in a new beginning if you want it. According to Paul in Ephesians 4, the earliest Christians were taught, so, this is how you go after newness of life. They were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If you know Christ, you can do that. And it's not because you're just tougher or smarter or better than anybody else. That is what the Holy Spirit enables you to do, to put off the old and put on the new. Now, what does that look like practically? Uh, Dr. Tripp, again, gives us a great little formula here. He says, first of all, consider what God's word reveals to you. So you won't know what to put off and put on unless you get it from here. So that's where you start. You go, what does God tell me to put off and put on? Consider that. Then, second C is you confess what you now see. So you're not just smart enough all by yourself to figure it out. You go, oh, so that's what God says. God, I agree with what your word has said here. I want to to align my life with that. And that's the third step. Commit yourself to a new way of living. Now, we're not just talking about New Year's resolutions that you give up in two weeks. We're talking about newness of life, a whole new direction, And you have to commit to that before you'll ever do it. Now, Dr. Tripp says this, commitment is a step of change, but it's not change. Change is when you apply new commitments. So, consider, confess, commit, and then implement change. Just do it. Just do it. And again, I'm not talking about white knuckling. I'm not talking about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm just saying you get up in the morning and you say, dear God, help me today because I want to do what I've committed to do and I need your help to do it. And you know what he says? Yes, every time. He will never say no to that prayer. He will give you all the power that you need to do what you've committed to do now here's some obstacles to change entitlement and self-pity if you feel like it's just harder on you than everybody else that's an easy way out an excuse to not do what you've committed to do isolation and self-reliance if you try to go it alone you're done that doesn't work Christian life is not a life of isolation. It's a life of community. And then complacency and self-indulgence. If you just think I'm going to get around to that someday, you will not get around to it. It just doesn't work that way. There's been enough human history to show us, right? Now, here's the catalysts for change that address those obstacles. First of all, with entitlement and self-pity, gratitude, Start looking around for how good God has been to you, and that will correct any sense of entitlement that you might have. Isolation and self-reliance, community is the answer. Just go after authentic relationships with other believers. That will help you to grow and change. And then lastly, with complacency and self-indulgence, you need to remember you're a steward Everything that you have has been entrusted to you by God and you will give an account for what you have done with what he has entrusted to you. That kind of helps with complacency and apathy and self-indulgence. So we said in September, we're going upward with God in this ministry year. So upward with God in 2022. I wanna give you some things to consider, things that you can commit to and ask God to help you fulfill. These are very practical, but these are steps to walking in newness of life. First of all, read your Bible. Now, I don't know how many of you do that regularly, but I don't know that there's a better habit other than the one that we're going to hit after reading your Bible. Uh, I want to give you a, a site. It's BibleReadingPlanGenerator.com bible reading plan you can go in there you can put how how many days which days of the week what part of the bible you can customize everything you could read the whole new testament between now and august 31st that's the end of our ministry year you can do all of that and never have to read more than a couple of chapters in a day and that's actually just reading monday through friday i did that plan for myself So great opportunity to map out a plan to read your Bible. Now, you don't have to read it cover to cover this year. And you're not a bad Christian if you don't. But you got to read it. (laughs) So pick part of it, anything, and just regular diet, just regular feed on the word. Secondly, prayer. Here's three structures for prayer. I'm not gonna go through all of these different elements, but these are just great acrostics, acts, heart, and pray. And in all of these, just generally speaking, when you're approaching prayer, first of all, you wanna recognize who God is and honor him for that. Then you wanna invite him to help you see what's true about you and invite him to change those things about you, which leads for you and I to ask for help to ask him to, to meet our needs. And then we we don't only want to pray for ourselves, we want to look at the people around us, our family, our friends, our church, our community group, our coworkers. We want to ask God to be at work in all of those places. And then we want to thank him and thank him and thank him and thank him for how good he has been to us. That's your basic framework. That's a great habit. Related to walking in newness of life. And then four square relationships. We've been mentioning this for years, and I'm just gonna keep coming back to this again and again and again because this is how your life changes. It's a relational thing. You need these four people in your life. I can't say that strongly enough. You need a mentor like a Paul, you need a peer like a Barnabas that you're just kind of in it together. You need a Timothy, somebody that you're pouring your life into, and you don't have to be a spiritual giant to do that. It's just you're a little bit ahead, and you're just giving them what was given to you. But you need to have a Timothy in your life, and you need to have a Nicodemus, somebody who doesn't know Christ, and you are praying for them and looking for opportunity for spiritual conversation so that you can introduce them to the Savior. You can tell them what the Lord has done for you and speak of His mercy in your life. What if between now and August 31st, you prayerfully sought out those four relationships and had them by August 31st? That would change your life, I promise you. Fellowship, body, life, we are a part of a community of faith. And when people ask us, what does it mean to be a member over at Fellowship, we don't put your name on a list. We just say, here it is. You participate in a worship gathering on a weekly basis. We don't take attendance, but if you're not here, it's kind of hard for you to participate with the body, right? This is our opportunity. to Gather as a community of faith and celebrate God's goodness together. That's why we come. We're not. We're not paying back God for something like this is where we come to celebrate community groups our community groups kick off January 23rd if you're not in a community group we want to ask you again to ask Chad Vinson he's our community group pastor just say I want to be in a community group and he'll place you he'll get you in a community where they can care for each other pray for each other encourage each other sharpen each other that's where we do life In community serve find a place to serve that's how we build up the church we just did a whole year last year on spiritual gifting put your spiritual gifts to work in building up the body so that it can be healthy and vibrant and reach the world and then finally give we talk about money just like we talk about everything else around here but if we don't give that limits ministry it's just that simple And so we prayerfully go to the Lord and we say, Lord, you've been so good to me. You've given me so much in terms of financial resources. I'm going to give back just a portion of what you've entrusted to me so that our church can do all of the ministry that you've called us to do. It's like it's nothing spectacular. It's real simple. That's how we do body life. Worship gathering, community, serve, and giving. And then I am so excited about this. Our whole leadership team is. We're calling it Fellowship Outward. And we would love for every person in this church to go on a mission trip. And we're gonna tell you what that means next week. But we would love for everybody in this church to go on a mission trip this year. Now that may sound a little daunting Mm -hmm. to you. I love it. I hope so. I hope for all of us, it feels like, whew, okay, God, (laughs) you're going to have to help me here. That's the best posture you could ever have. But if this whole church goes on a mission trip, man, there's going to be some exciting stuff happening here. Details on that next week. So what's God calling you to do? What's a next step in your walk in newness of life? in 2022? What's just one thing that you can change, literally change about the way you do life so that you are more aligned with this beautiful gift that God has given you in his son? Would you take a moment, prayerfully ask him to give you a next right step. That's our so what for today. And then I'll pray for us. Take a moment.